0: All right, I knew y'all wanted it, so I just had to throw it out there. Um, So excited uh, to get to be with you today, uh, to get to preach on this stage and talk about a subject, as Casey already said, that's so near and dear to my heart, uh, to my wife's heart, uh, to our family. Uh, I know Casey hasn't got to heard me preach Hear me preach often. Um, so he probably didn't know uh, fully about my overactive tear ducts when he assigned me to preach about adoption. Uh, maybe he did. Maybe it's cruel and unusual punishments. Uh, but uh, four kids uh, are expensive. Um, and so, you know, Casey mentioned that a few weeks ago, actually, when he dropped that 20 in the jar, I actually snuck by later and pulled it back out. Um, <laughs> But so Chelsea's starting a little uh, bookie business, and so she's taking the over under on how many times I tear up today. So it's set at six, so you've got about five minutes before the bets will lock in place. Uh, so get rich this Sunday. Um, I want to start with a little bit of a backstory uh, when it comes to our adoption. You know, you hear that someone chooses to adopt, and they're called to adoption, uh, but you don't always get to hear the motivation behind their story. And the truth is, for, for most people who have adopted, it's different. It's, it's unique. So with our story, with Chelsea and I, um, we've known that we wanted to adopt long before we knew each other. But Both of us have felt from a young age that we wanted to adopt a child later in life. With Chelsea, as many of you know, Chelsea has um, a lot of adopted siblings, like a whole lot of adopted siblings in her family. Um, So Chelsea grew up with this personal relationship with adoption. It was something she knew from a young age and kind of going with what we're talking about in this series. She, She saw all of the good, the bad, the ugly, the messy parts of it, and she still knew. She still knew that it was something that she was called to do in her life. If you ever wonder uh, why, made, how, why Chelsea is so amazing, uh, first God, because uh, man doesn't make things like that. Um, but then beyond that, it's that Chelsea, at a young age, was essentially mom number two to her family. Uh, I can remember when we first got married. Uh, you know, I'd been a single guy for a while, so I was used to doing my own laundry and going from doing laundry for, you know. Seventeen of your little siblings every week to doing you know, one you know dirty single guy you know laundry a week was pretty much a blessing in her life. So I haven't done laundry in about thirteen years. So, you know, just saying that because she likes to, right? You like it? You like Still like it? Still like it? Okay, just making sure. I'll do it. I'll do it if you need me to. My story's a little different. I think most people assume that if you felt called to adopt. They they felt like this was a calling that was put on your life and convicted at a young age. It's because you had a personal relationship with adoption, Um, impactful relationship in your life, but I didn't. For, For me, my conviction stemmed from a young age and it grew throughout my life. It grew throughout teenage years and on into adulthood in my early time as a youth minister and where it started from was I can remember at such a young age going uh, and getting dropped off at the football field. And I would get dropped off sometimes by my mom, sometimes picked up by my dad. And I looked around. I looked around, and and I started noticing something that was so prevalent when I looked around. It was that so many of the guys that I played sports with growing up didn't have a dad in their life. That one doesn't count, so don't, don't think it does. They didn't have a dad in their life. They didn't have a father. They didn't have a father figure. And many of them didn't have anybody who was fulfilling that role in their life. These were good dudes. But at a young age, I started to see the impact of that relationship and what was missing for them. What was missing from their lives and how much they naturally longed for a father. And I knew from a young age that I, I wanted to be a dad, I wanted to be a biological dad, but that I also wanted to give that to a child that I didn't have a part in creating on this earth. That God doesn't call everyone to adoption, but he does call you to something. He, he calls you to something. Most people, when you think about adoption, you, you think about uh, the book of James and you think about James chapter one, when he says pure and undefiled religion is this—to visit the orphans and widows in their need. I'll ask a couple questions as we get started. What what makes it pure? You know what what makes this act of pure religion? And then thinking about that, I think so much of it is connected to the fact that, that when you're serving. In this way in whatever way that you're called to serve the orphans and widows in your life you're doing it with without this idea of I'm getting something back from it that's what to me one of the parts of the elements of pure religion is is you're you're doing this because you feel called and you feel compelled and you feel convicted that you need to act on something that's been placed on your heart not because of something you're going to get out of it so so much of our lives are built around the selfish nature of our man that, that we, we are so drawn towards taking care of ourselves in every way. And when you talk about something that is pure, it is so deeply connected to something that I, I'm not doing because I'm going to get something from this. I'm doing because I know it is the absolute right thing to do. You know, this whole passage in James it is talking about action. And James 1 and 2 is talking about putting our faith into action, be doers of the word and not hearers only. It's about being convicted in a way that actually leads to you doing something in your life. And like I said, this is not a sermon to make you think, I have to adopt. I think some of you should. Uh, Some of you have probably felt that in your life for a long time. Some of you have considered it. Some of you have felt that, that. uh, inkling to, to be drawn towards this but for others there, there's a way that you get to be a part of this story and I'll talk more about that in a moment but the way that so many people are a part of ours and the way that you minister in ways to these people who cannot protect themselves but it's having this conviction on your heart a conviction that makes you actually do something it was something I've realized so much more and more over the last several years as we've become such a social media driven world is that we love to talk I mean, we, we love to talk. We, we love to speak about things that we believe in. We love to lay our convictions and our passions out on the line and tell the whole world about what we believe. In, in sometimes very divisive ways, which is a whole other message. But we love to tell everybody about what we would say we are so passionate about. But I've also noticed so few people actually do anything. And people notice. You know, as Christians, when we profess things that don't match up with our actions, when we profess beliefs that we're so passionate about politically, but we don't have the reaction when it comes to our actual actually living out our life. People notice that. Now, something about this passage that you may not have stuck out to you is right before this. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, religion that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this to visit the orphans and widows in their needs or in their affliction. Hear that again. Thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. See, I think we, we hear this and... Probably our natural instinct is saying, "Does not bridle his tongue," and to think about all the evil ways that we can speak, all the evil things that we could say, all, all the gossip that we can be involved in. with I don't, I don't think that's what this is talking about here. When you look at it in the context of the passage and what James is saying, when he's calling us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. When he's calling us to pure religion, to to a conviction in our life that leads to not only compassion but action in our lives. He says, do not bridle your tongue. What he's telling us to do, or who cannot bridle their tongue, what he's telling us is to be really careful. Be be really careful when you want to speak so boldly about what you're passionate about, so boldly about what you care about, but but you do not follow it up with any action in your life. Be really careful because what he's saying is, is that's worthless religion. It's a religion that is all talk. It's a religion that is no reality Uh, back to our story it was a long process um, a long long process for many of you remember when we stood up here and we we talked about we were going to adopt We were so excited and so many people celebrated with us and were excited to be a part of our journey and it was way way longer than we expected to be honest we, we were naive I think a lot of people are when they do private adoption. They're, they're naive to what the process is going to look like. We honestly, we put together our booklet. We put together our, our video. We got everything ready for the webpage. And we, we just thought, you know, people are going to see this family of five in greater Houston area of Texas. And they're going to read our bio. And within a couple of weeks, like somebody is going to call Uh, like we got we thought the approval process was the long process we thought this is going to take a while but then someone right away is going to see and they're going to match and they're going to call and we're going to bring a baby home and that wasn't the case it's probably because they saw Chelsea but then they saw me beside her and they're like oh I don't know looks a little off But the truth was, there's so many reasons that I could talk about all day that came into play, I believe, in what the last several years have held. But it did a work in our lives. A work that I'll talk a little more about, but that, that brought a lot of pain that we're still healing from, but that has brought so much joy into our lives. Connected with that, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, Like I said, your your calling is not the same as mine. Your your calling to, to support, to love, to take care of those who can't take care of themselves does not look like mine looks like. And I can't name all the names because I would get lost and would forget, but I'm so thankful for everyone who played a part in our adoption journey. Financially, you know, one of the things that you may not know, and this may be your part in the long run, look for people because there's so many people who are, are definitely more than willing to raise a child, but there's a lot of, upfront, of costs, upfront costs in adoption, and that's the most overwhelming part to most people. We had so many people that helped us with our both hands project and helping us to fundraise to get started with that physically. Now, you have needs when you're going through adoption. You, you have to be ready to literally have your bag packed. The difference is it's not like going to the delivery room. You've got to have it packed for, well, for us, uh, over three years. Ready to go, ready to walk out the door. That meant you had to have people. You have people on standby that are ready to help you when you need it and then faithfully. I know there are so many people here in this room and around the country and people we love who have faithfully walked through this with us. People that we don't know that we're still praying. People who wanted to ask, are you still doing this? People that looked at us and honestly told us that, hey, hey we understand. You, you've been through a lot. If, if you want to walk away, <laughs> there, there is no problem in that. People who faithfully walk beside us through some of our most painful times in our life and encouraged us and prayed for us as we continued to pursue our child. Over time, we had a few almost moments. You know, early on, uh, we had a mother that did choose us. Um, we we were excited, we were ready, and. It was early in her pregnancy so the way that works in private adoption is once you match you you're you're taken offline like you if you decide to match you you go offline so that you're matched with that family so it's not this who do i go with and we matched early and, and early in her pregnancy but as it continued and our relationship with her continued i think a lot a lot to the way that chelsea ministered to her as they talked on the phone and they texted She chose that it was the right thing for her to keep her child. Uh, She now has a second child. She's married. Her and Chelsea still keep in touch sometimes. So that one was hard, but it was easy. It, It was hard because we were so ready to have our child and we were so excited that they were getting this baby girl at that point. But we knew it was the right thing. We knew with her it was the right thing for her to keep that baby, and so we had a lot of peace in that process. Two years into the process of adoption, we finally matched. We matched, uh, excuse me, we matched the little boy out of California. Uh, we spent a couple months uh, talking to the birth mom, Continually connecting. It was a scheduled C-section, so we were able to fly out and be there for his delivery. We're the first to hold him. We're the first to give him the bath. We were able to name that beautiful, almost 11-pound baby boy. Yeah, 11. Y'all know I was already dreaming about Tennessee football. I was. (laughs) Hudson's a stud, too, though. We're still good. I got two. Um, We were able to give him a name, Crockett Pugh. And after four perfect days with him and getting to be his parents, the birth mom changed her mind while signing the final paperwork. And we had to give him back. We had to give our son back. There's some details of that story that are just honestly private and personal, parts that are just our families and I won't share from here. But I will share this. This one didn't feel right. Adoption is not always easy. It's not always pretty. We prayed that our instinct... Of it not being the right decision for her would be wrong, but we weren't. I'll never stop praying for that baby boy, as much as I've dreamt of finding him one day. The truth is, my prayer is that I'm not able to find him because what that means is he—he's not stuck in the foster system, it means that he had a family that adopted him and he had a family that gave him a new name. Needless to say, we returned home devastated. In moments like this, it's natural to go into protection mode, I think especially as a father, protection of Chelsea, protection of my children, you know, that's, that's part of this journey, too, when you already have children. So much of our faith is shaped in times when we wrestle with God. It's, it's not necessarily shaped in those times when things are just going perfectly Shaped in those times when we get to wrestle with God. And let me tell you, it's okay. If you feel less in your faith because you're wrestling with God right now, don't. Wrestle with God. He can take it when those worst fears came true. You know, the truth in our journey is part of we, we wrestled with uh, fostering to adopt versus private adoption. And private adoption, we really the big motivation wasn't protect it was it was about our our other three children. That was our reason we chose private. We thought we could protect them in that moment. In that moment when we couldn't protect them we had to show our children what it looked like to wrestle with God so what they felt like was that God had just answered their prayer that they'd been praying for two years it was a beautiful thing to watch your children get so excited but when they came home and we didn't have a baby in our arms as we walked through the door I think Presley said it best when it comes to wrestling she said mom did God jip us no, God didn't, Jeff Presley. As parents, we don't intentionally set up scenarios to enlighten our children to the brokest, brokenness of this world. We try to protect them. We try to protect them from the hurt because we don't want them to feel that pain. We want, we want to protect them from that pain for as long as we possibly can. God calls us to walk by faith, not by feeling. We live in a broken world and we're going to have to walk in brokenness at times in order to truly walk by faith. In Matthew 14, there's a story uh, of Jesus walking on water. You know, he sends the disciples out into the boat and he goes off to pray. As the boat was far off, says that storm starts to rage and Jesus starts to walk out to them on the water and they look off in the distance. And at first they think it's a ghost because people don't walk on water. It was a natural reaction. And Jesus calls to them. He says, take heart. It's I do not be afraid. And Peter, our awesome friend, Peter, he steps up and he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he does. And so Peter steps out onto the water and Peter begins to walk on water, but then he was afraid so the winds and the waves as he sees the wind is what it says. and As he sees the wind, he begins to sink. And Jesus reaches, immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, O ye of little faith. People love to talk about this passage. You know, it's, it's even the cultural things that we say, uh, O ye of little faith. We throw that out people that don't even know text, throw, O ye of little faith, when someone is showing a little bit of doubt. And we talk about this passage usually in two ways. We talk about either one extreme of, man, look at Peter's faith. Nobody else got out of the boat. Nobody else was willing to take a step into the water. Or we talk about the other, oh, man, like Peter lacked faith. He he took his eyes off of God. He took his eyes off of Jesus. We could preach, you know, a million different ways. But what I want you to see this morning in this passage is that Jesus reached out his hand immediately, and he saved Peter. He didn't say, oh man, good effort, bro. Uh, but, but, but you just really didn't have it. And so this whole relationship we have is done. No, what he did is he reached out immediately when he saw that Peter was sinking and he grabbed onto him and he saved him. When, G- when faith was gone, Jesus didn't let him sink. So much of the last few years have felt that way, if I'm being honest. They struggled, it's been hard, been a whole lot of wrestling, a whole lot of sinking. But over throughout the whole time, I've always felt like I've had a God who just wasn't gonna let go of me, who was looking at me and saying, Bo, just keep stepping out on the water. Just keep stepping out on the water, and if you keep sinking, I'm going to keep grabbing. You know, sometimes we think that that's what faith is. It's it's this moment of perfection. It's I'm going to become somebody who can walk on water. I'm going to become somebody who has that kind of faith level in my Father that, that I can just do anything, and I never have any doubt, and I never have any pain, and I never have any problems. But it's really quite the opposite. In developing our faith and growing in our faith, there are so many moments where we step out, and we trust God, and we still sink, but he still saves. He still grabs us when we start to sink. So we kept going. We kept going, and we waited, and we waited. And almost a year later, to the day of when we lost Crockett, we got a call from a grandma who was raising her 16-month-old little boy. And she had... Felt not from Texas, but felt called to Texas. And so that was the first place she looked on the site. And she looked at different profiles and prayed over it and decided who she was going to call. She chose us. She chose our family. And for the next month plus, we FaceTimed every day with a wild, wild little boy. Every day. You know, we... We would go, and this is part of that protection as a parent, and this is the way we love our children, and you love your children. Our kids didn't know until we left. We we would go, and, and we would hide in the bedroom, and one of us would come back out, and they'd be like, where's mama? Because they don't really ask for me. Uh, where's mama? Where's mama? Where's mama go? And I would come out and run distraction, gave a whole lot of candy during that month, you know, just a keep everybody happy and not questioning. And then finally, at late August, we were able to fly out and meet our son for the first time. Meet Hudson, hold Hudson, love Hudson in person. And we took him home. And throughout this process, uh, when it comes to our children, I want you to understand, our kids have been Amazing. So resilient. They love their little brother so much. Uh, what's been so impressive to me is you know, we went from this, you know we were at an age like trips in kindergarten, so we were a we were pretty self-sufficient little family. They could do so much on their own. We, we weren't in this baby and toddler world. And then overnight, we didn't bring home this little newborn that they were expecting. Excuse me. We brought home a little uh, maniac. <laughs> I'm talking like Chris Farley, Tommy boy, maniac, maniac on the floor. And uh, I mean, he, he is a wild man in all the great ways. We love him. We love it and they love it. They've been so pa- patient, so compassionate, so filled with grace and love for their brother. See, a faith seed was planted through all of this and getting Hudson home through all the pain of the journey has been a little bit sweeter um, in a little bit of a sad way. Finally, after six months in April, we finalized our adoption. Uh, He's no longer listed as Baby Boy P. He's now Hudson McNeil Pugh. Thank you. We were able to change his name. It was something I have thought about throughout this whole adoption process of just a big moment for me. I think it's natural to take a lot of pride in your name. And I don't take it lightly what a blessing it is to pass it down to my biological children. And even more so to get to give Hudson the name that he's going to carry throughout his life. And that moment where it became final and in the last moments the judge asked for kind of a summary. A summary, you know, how are you feeling about this? How are your children feeling about how this is going? And I told him how how hard our kids had prayed. As they have. They prayed so hard. They prayed when I couldn't pray like that's just the truth there, there were days when I couldn't pray but they always did since he was two years old that's when this started Tripp prayed every night please God let our baby come and we built in a little pause and I would say when do you think he's going to come they're going to come maybe I planted a little he seed in there a little he seed in there uh, when are they going to come and he would go, tomorrow. <laughs> and I would say, this is a power prayer. I'm just saying, say, is it going to be a boy or a girl? Because we were open on it every way. We were totally wide open on what God gave us. And he'd go, a boy. <laughs> After we got out of the call and everything was done, I looked at Tripp and he had these big tears in his eyes and, you know, apple doesn't fall far, I guess. You know, he's got genetics are strong in that one. He had these big tears in his eyes and they were so genuine. I asked him if he was okay, because that's what you do. And he looked at me and he just said, Daddy, I just prayed so hard since he was two years old himself he prayed for a baby brother and now he has a two-year-old baby brother that thinks he absolutely hung the moon chelsea and i were talking about this about this sermon about this message but being a hard one it's so different this is different from how i will preach ever again on this stage just being honest i know i'm not the crying i'll always do that but uh that's just part of me um but, but this one is so unique to us, and we were talking about this process and what it's meant and what it should mean to y'all, not just to us. But Jesus when, when he talks about being like the little children I love what Chelsea said this. she said, "It's not because they are so innocent. It's because they never have never shared uh, it's, it's, she said, "When God says, "Be like little children, it's not just because they are in, innocent." With our children, they have never shared a doubt around our adoption. It's because kids carry their day. They carry what's right in front of them. Please bring our baby tomorrow. You know what, Tripp prayed the day after we got back without his baby brother that he had prayed for, for two years. Please bring our baby tomorrow if we can be more like little children this doesn't, it doesn't save us from heartbreak they've experienced that they, they had such a tough year at the same time that we did but it has been such a seed that's planted in their faith that I know they're going to carry in the rest of their life and I hope they always pray for what is coming tomorrow with the confidence that they have throughout this process You've chosen love different it's different from my experience with our other children just being honest not not a different way that I love him but the different way that I came to love him with our children it's biological they were born and they were they were ours it was this instant moment with Hudson it was just as instant but it was conscious it was a choice of looking and saying, this is my son. Can't nobody bring a brother a Kleenex? Um, i just kidding. Y'all gotta listen to this the whole time. No. I thought about it uh, a lot this week. It's really just such a special love and a special relationship I have with my son. You know, when I, this, this, I don't have to usually travel for, like, five days straight, but I did this week. And when I got home, all the kids missed me. Um, Chelsea missed me, you know, like she missed me. Hudson, when I'm gone, the level of excitement in the way that he hugs me, it's It's different. It's just different. He wraps his arm around me, and he holds me, and he held me the first moment I picked him up like this. Literally the first moment I met his grandma, he reached away from his grandma into my arms, and he wrapped his hands around my neck, and he squeezes so tightly. And now when he does it, when I come back from a trip, he just says, Daddy, Daddy, and he squeezes. And I think the reason the hug feels a little different, I know he's young and I know he was just 17 months old when he took him home, but I think the reason his love feels different is I think he, he knows already. You know, for my other children, like they, they've never, never once doubted this relationship. They've always known the way that I love. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> uh, they've always known the way that I love them. And Hudson does too but he hugs in a way that truly feels like, Daddy, don't go, like Daddy, stay with me, Daddy, love me. It's a special love. The text we read at the beginning in Ephesians talks about our adoption, our adoption as children of God We were chosen before the foundation of the world, and I think we we get so amazed by that, by the fact that we have a God who chooses us, and it it amazes me that God chose me, but the older I get, it, it amazes me much more that he chooses me. I want you to hear that again. It amazes me that he chose me before I was born, but it amazes me so much more that he still chooses me after He chooses me in all of the mess. He chooses me in every mistake. He keeps choosing me. He keeps saving me. He keeps loving me. And there is nothing I can do to escape the grips of his love. He changes our name. When we think about Peter, and and Peter was a mess. He was, he, he was a mess. But he also said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We look throughout the story of Peter and we won't go there because of time this morning. But Peter was a mess, but he knew the one thing that truly mattered. And with that, God took this mess that kept breaking and falling and failing and he created something so beautiful and it's the same thing he does in your life and in my life, in our lives. He calls us, he chooses us, he creates through our mess something that is so beautiful. One more thing before we go into communion thoughts and it's something that you should feel comfortable in too. And it's not necessarily for you in adoption, but it's for you in something. And it's okay to have this emotion. I want to tell you that Hudson didn't heal our pain. Okay? I think a lot of people look and you naturally from the outside, like, you got a baby. And we did. We got our son. And we love our son. And, yes, there's perspective in the pain that we went through because of that. But he didn't heal the pain that we carry from losing Crockett. We still lost a child that we love so dearly and we miss all the time. And whatever pain you have in your life, that sometimes you get this pressure in life to be like, oh, just because you found fulfillment in other places, and you found healing in your life, that that pain is gone. No, that pain, even in the healing that takes place, is something that you will carry the rest of your life. And it can shape you for all the better if you allow it to. It didn't make the pain or the brokenness go away. I was motivated by the love of the Father. You know, I had an amazing father, as you all know how much I love him. And so much of that was that I've only realized later was, was so tied and intertwined with my desire to adopt was what I'd had in my own father, that I wanted to be able to give that to someone else. And it's even more so now a motivation, knowing that the father I was blessed with and the love I received motivates me every single day to be that for my children, all four of them. And it's the same love that we have from our father. When I think about those guys that I knew growing up, that I played sports with, that I was able to watch There's so many different stories there. There's so many different people that went different directions, but so many of those men I've seen become the men that they should be. They didn't allow their pain to lead them to do the same thing. So many of those men have chosen, hey, I I didn't have a father the way I wanted a father in my life, and because of that, I'm going to be this father to my children. They're not perfect, but they're present. That's something that we're called to be. We're going to make our ways in just a moment to the tables. As Casey mentioned, um, uh, at the start of worship, we have several tables spread out across the auditorium, four in the front, and it looks like three in the back today. So if you would, in in a moment, as we go to these tables and we have communion, uh, I want to give you uh, something to reflect on. And that would be, what what name changed? has God placed on your life? What, what name has God given you in your life? And you can feel free to share with others. You can feel free to inwardly reflect on that. And while you're doing this, I want you to understand something because for some of you, it just happened. The devil's gonna plant lies. It's the way it works. The, the devil's gonna plant lies in your mind. He's gonna say, you are broken. You are a coward, you are unlovable. Your father has given you a new name. Don't listen to the lies that the devil would love for you to believe you are healed, you are courageous, you are loved. As we start to wrap up on the communion time, the praise team is gonna come back out in a few moments. We're gonna sing a song entitled, For the One. If you haven't heard that song before, there's a line in the song that says, a love that erases all lies, all the lies, and sees the truth. What I want you to focus on as you gather around the table this morning is focusing not on the lies that you'd love for you to believe, but on the truth in you being renamed by the Father. I'll start, and then we can head to the tables. The devil wants me to believe that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough, I'm not doing enough, I won't be enough, but my God has named me enough. Let's head to the tables for communion.